Good morning, Chapel Hill. Thanks for coming out this morning. You're going to be glad you did. (laughs) You are glad you did already, aren't you? (laughs) All right. If you do not have a Bible with you this morning, you're going to need one once again. So if you do not have a Bible, we've got Bibles for you. Just go ahead and put your hand up and our ushers will give you a Bible that you can use. And uh, if you are receiving that Bible um, to use here for the service and you do not have a Bible of your own, please keep the one that you receive. God's word is full of life and we need to have a Bible in our hands constantly because there's so much life there. Uh, I want to review just real quickly. Um, we continue on in our series, our study of First Peter this morning. And uh, this series is called The Light. And um, we are studying the words that Peter wrote to the church. And they are some beautiful words. Two weeks ago, we looked at Peter's command to love one another earnestly from a pure heart. And how much power there is in that command. And how, how beautiful it is to be called into loving each other the way that God loves us. With an agape love. We looked at that. Then last week, Peter reminded us to put away things that will hinder us from hearing or seeing or receiving God's words. He gave us some instruction on things that we can get rid of, things that we can cast off in order to hear from God. And we want to hear from God. His words are so valuable to us. We want to hear it. There's so much there that he offers us. And so Peter walked us through some things, maybe some surprising things that are keeping us from hearing the word of God. Things that have to do with the way we treat each other. Things that relate back to what he said previous to to that about loving each other earnestly. If we're not doing that, it's difficult for us to hear from God because of all the noise that comes with the way that we treat each other when we treat each other wrongly. And so this is what Peter looked at. And so I want to back up and just read the first three verses of 1 Peter chapter 2 that we looked at last week as a way of catching up with where we're at. So this is what Peter said, 1 Peter chapter 2, first three verses. He said, so put away all malice and all deceit and hypocrisy and envy and all slander. Like newborn infants long for the pure spiritual milk that by it you may grow up into salvation if indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good. And so we're going to continue on this morning in First Peter chapter 2. Go ahead and turn to First Peter chapter 2 if you can right now. And um, good references up there. First um, Peter chapter 2. I, it's funny because I was putting the slides together for this. And I have page 1014 in my head because it's been there for months now. Um, and so I had to double check and go, wait, are we still on that page in the Blue Bible? So <laughs> we are. We are. Just barely we're still on that page. So let's look at 1 Peter chapter 2, and this morning we're going to look at verses 4 through verse 7, the first part of verse 7. So let's read that whole passage together now. First, uh, 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 4 through 7, the first part of, first, of verse 7. This is what Peter writes now. He says, as you come to him, a living stone rejected by men, but in the sight of God, chosen and precious... You yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For it stands in Scripture, Behold, I am laying in Zion a stone, a cornerstone chosen and precious, and whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. 
so the honor is for you who believe. And I want to take a moment right now just to just to pause and, and get our heads um, where they need to be. So um, will you just pray with me for a moment? And just as you go to God here, uh, before we get into the word, and, and hopefully the, the songs we've been singing have, have really helped with this, but just right now in the quietness of your heart and mind with our, our eyes closed and our heads bowed, just lift up to God all of your earthly burdens right now. Just give him what you're facing. Because today we're going to talk about eternal things again. And in order to do that, we need to just release the things that are weighing us down, the illness, the strife, the struggle, the relational tension, all of the different things that are weighing us down this morning. Just release those to God right now. Let him have them so that we can turn our eyes to eternal things. Father, you have, <clears throat> you have directed us to set our minds on things above. And so that's what I ask for this morning is that you would help us to set our minds on eternal things God, we know you care about the earthly struggles that we have. You care about the temporary trials and pains that we're facing right now. You care about that. But you ask us to bring those things to you and let you take them. So will you do that for us this morning and guide us now into acknowledging the eternal truths that you have laid out for us in Scripture. We need that. We need to set our minds on eternity. And realize once again that this life is just a dot. And eternity is a line that goes on forever. And none of those hard things that we're facing right now will be with us when we enter into glory, when we enter into your presence, where we will dwell forever. So God, will you just open up your word to us once again this morning. And let us see those things, let us see those eternal things, those true things, those gifts from you. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen. All right, we're going to work through these verses together in 1 Peter chapter 2. You can go ahead to the next slide, Andrew. 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 4 through 7, the first part of verse 7. We're going to work through them together like we have. And Peter returns here to writing about our identity in Christ. He comes back to some foundational truths about who we are. He addresses once again some of the privileges that we have being people who have been chosen and called by God. And this is encouraging. These words are absolutely thrilling and encouraging to me. And so I can't wait to get into them here. What we've learned already from Peter are some fantastic truths about who we are. We are chosen. We were known by God from before we were born. We are sanctified. We've been cleansed. We've been given mercy by God. We've been given a living hope by God. We've been caused to be born again by God. We're guarded by God. We're loved by him. We've been saved by him. We've received grace from him. We are declared to be holy by him, purified. We've been given new life and a new heart by God. And we have been given his words, all these things and more we've already seen 
in the book of 1 Peter. And Peter now adds these incredible words to this, the words that we just read. And he starts with these words, as you come to him, as you come to him. And what Peter covers right off the bat is the fact that we are welcome to come. He says, as you come to Jesus, and he's referring back to verse 3, where he said, if indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good. He's referring to the Lord. He's referring to Jesus. And Jesus invites us now to come. And previously, this is something that only priests could do. Only priests were able to enter into God's presence and when, when Jesus died on the cross, the veil in the temple that separated us from God, where only the priests could go, that veil was torn in two, that door was opened, that barrier was removed, and we were welcomed into God's presence. Every one of us, we can come to God now because of Jesus Christ. We're invited to come to God through Jesus And that is a beautiful truth. And so Peter says, as you come, as you come to him, as you come to Jesus, there's a freedom there. There's an acknowledgement that we can do that. There are a couple of references I want to mention here where that, that make this very clear, where Jesus made this clear. In Matthew 11, 28 to 30, some very familiar words. Jesus said, come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. My, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Jesus gives us that invitation. He says, come, we're to come. John writes this uh, of Jesus' words in John six thirty five. Jesus says to the, the crowds that are around him, he says, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger, and whoever believes in me shall never thirst. Jesus invites us to come, and Peter refers to that invitation when he says, as you come to him. As you come, we're invited into God's presence. And there's an intonation here in the way this is written in 1 Peter. That come includes an intent to stay it's not just to come and touch and run. It's, it's come and stay. Jesus said, abide in me. Stay with me. Dwell with me. Walk with me. Follow me. Be together with me. There's an intent there for us to stay when Jesus says, come. And so it's great for Peter to start this particular verse this way. As you come to, to him. Not if you're allowed to come to him. If you get yourself cleaned up in order to come to him. He just says, as you come to him. Because brothers and sisters, we're welcome in God's presence now. Because of the work of Jesus Christ. And that is a beautiful thing. And then Peter moves, moves on. For he says, as you come to him. Referring to Jesus still, a living stone rejected by men, but in the sight of God, chosen and precious. Jesus was rejected by men. We know that. Most of the religious leaders in Jesus' time had weighed Jesus' claims to be the Son of God, the Messiah who they were waiting for. And those religious leaders, most of them, rejected that claim. They weighed it and denied it. They said that this is not him. No, you're not. You are not the Messiah. You're not the Son of God. And they rejected Jesus Christ. Um, remember, as we go through the book of First Peter, that this is not the only place where Peter shows up, right? He's all over the Gospels. 
He's in the book of Acts. And in the book of Acts, he becomes a spokesperson, an ambassador for Jesus Christ. And there are so many times when Peter is the one doing the speaking. Peter addresses the religious leaders around him. And in Acts chapter 4, verse 11, as Peter is speaking to the religious leaders there, he says this. He says, this Jesus is the stone that was rejected by you, the builders, which has become the cornerstone. So this was a truth that Peter knew. This is something Peter had declared in the midst of great persecution. He had declared this truth that Jesus was the cornerstone. Jesus had been rejected by man, but but that meant nothing when held up against the value that his father had placed in him. Peter says that Jesus was chosen by God and precious to him. That's how God viewed his son. Um, Before Jesus began his ministry here on earth, he was baptized by John. And immediately following that baptism, this is what happened in Matthew chapter 3, verses 16 and 17. Matthew writes, And when Jesus was baptized, immediately he went up from the water, and behold, the heavens were opened to him, and he saw the Spirit of God descending like a dove and coming to rest on him. And behold, a voice from heaven said, This is my beloved Son, with whom I am well pleased. God's declaration of the value that he put in his Son, in Jesus Christ. In the sight of God, chosen and precious, Jesus has become the cornerstone of God's family, his church. He is our foundation. He is the standard by which everything else is measured. And I want to show you a picture of an actual cornerstone in a building so that we get that picture in our heads. The cornerstone, this big solid stone, is the first thing that goes down in the building of a house or a building or a temple or whatever it was. The cornerstone goes down first. The cornerstone is hard, it's durable, it's reliable, it's strong. The cornerstone is measured and cut perfectly. It is the standard by which the rest of the building is measured. So this is put down and from this point... A straight line is measured going up and straight lines are measured going out to the left and to the right based on that cornerstone. And every other brick, every other stone in that building has to comply to this. It's measured by that standard, by the cornerstone. And so our foundation, brothers and sisters, will always be Jesus, the cornerstone. That will always be the standard by which we are measured. We did not come later on in the building. We are not the ones by whom the standard is set. We don't create that standard. It doesn't happen 2,000 years later when somebody further on in the building, some random brick, we decide that that's the standard that we're going to measure by. That's not it. Our standard will always be our cornerstone, Jesus Christ. And everything that we do will be measured by his standard. That will always be the truth for us. And so Jesus is referred to as the cornerstone, a living stone chosen by God and precious in his sight. This is how Peter describes him. And then Peter says this, he moves on and he says, 
of Jesus, the, the, the living cornerstone. Um, let me just read it. As you come to him, a living stone rejected by men, but in the sight of God, chosen and precious, you yourselves, like living stones... Do you get that, that we've just been associated with Jesus here by Peter? And do you get how significant that is? That we too are referred to as living stones. Jesus is a living stone. And we like him are living stones. We've just been associated with Jesus in an incredibly significant way. Jesus being the one perfect cornerstone is associating himself with the rest of the stones in the building. And that's us. Jesus, a stone. You and me, stones. Jesus, chosen and precious in God's sight. You and me, chosen and precious in God's sight. Let's not miss um, the use of, the, of the, the adjective living here. Jesus is a living stone and we are living stones. He is alive forever and you and I are alive forever. We're connected to the living cornerstone and it is his life that has given us life. Paul makes this perfectly clear in Colossians 3 verses 3 and 4. He writes to the church, for you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Because of Christ, we are alive. And not just that, we are now living stones with Jesus, with him. And we are being cut, carved, transformed daily to align with him, our standard, our cornerstone. So let me ask you, are you inviting him daily to do that in you? Are you inviting him to do that cutting, that shaping, that transforming work in you so that you stay aligned with him, with your cornerstone? That's what it means to be transformed. That's what it means to become more like Jesus all the time. We're being shaped to fit the standard of our cornerstone. Now Peter gives us a picture of of what we as living stones are being used for. and, And it's a much bigger picture than any one of us. He says that we ourselves like living stones are doing something. Something's happening to us. We are being, we are being built up as a spiritual house. We are part of a spiritual house that God is building. What is a spiritual house? It's a temple. It's a temple. And what was the temple used for back in the Old Testament? It was the dwelling place of God. We are being built up into God's dwelling place. But we don't live in the age of the Old Testament, do we? We live in the age of the New Covenant when a new temple exists. How do we know this? It could not be any clearer than how this is spelled out in the Bible. Paul, again, describes this so well in Ephesians chapter 2, verses 19 to 22. This is what Paul writes about this concept of us being built up into this spiritual house, just like Peter wrote. 
He says, so then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. So once again, it seems like Peter and Paul agree on this, don't they? Very clear. Their writings are so similar. So I want to talk a little bit about walls. This is the first one that I want to show you. And I want you just to note that all of these stones have been cut to fit a specific design. They work together. They fit together. Each stone has its place. And if you remove one of the stones or if one of the stones is wrong, it challenges the integrity of the structure of the wall. And so each stone is cut and shaped to fit its perfect place in that wall. Now I want you to look at another wall. This is the, the wailing wall in Jerusalem. And I want you to notice a few things about this wall. Because this is a great model, a great picture of what we are as part of the wall of God's temple that, are, that God is putting together using us as living stones. Um, you will see in here uh, periods of time represented in this wall. You'll see a change in the way the stones look, a change in the size, a change in the design. You can see kind of timelines in here where things change, where things got a little different. And what I love about this picture is, is the fact that there are older stones in here that have been cut specifically for this purpose. And there are, there are stones that have been added to this that have come from previous walls. What happened here in Jerusalem was as they built this wall, um, sometimes that wall got destroyed. The wall in Jerusalem was knocked down. And, and rather than go and cut new stones to continue to build this wall, they took old stones from previous ruins, stones that, that had been used, and, and they used those, they shaped those to exactly what they needed them to be, and they continued to put them in this wall. And I love this picture because every stone has a place in this wall. Every stone has significance in this wall. But that time elapsed, the time that's passed through the construction of the wall is, is amazing. And that's the picture of us as the temple of God. Is over time, remember Paul said the foundation of the apostles down here with Jesus being the cornerstone and then that wall is built up and built up and built up and over time all these different stones are added to that wall and you and I now in 2016 are being built up into the walls of God's temple, his dwelling place and that is a beautiful, beautiful picture. This spiritual house that we're a part of continues to be built today. The design is not complete yet. The dwelling place of God is being built. And when it is finished being built, Jesus is coming back. We're part of that process of God building his temple, his dwelling place. And when every stone is in place, Jesus is coming back. And God will dwell with us face to face in a new heaven and new earth. You and I are part of something much bigger than our own individual lives here among the pressures of today's society. 
were being placed by choice and by design into the walls of God's temple. We collectively are being built into a spiritual house. We collectively are God's dwelling place. We collectively are God's temple. And that is no small thing. It's no wonder then that the New Testament writers spend so much time and energy instructing the church, writing to the church, this is what you're to be like. This is, this is how you are to, to be. These are the attitudes you're to have as stones in the walls of God's temple. That's a big deal. God has a design for his temple and he's working hard to shape each and every stone into a living stone aligned with his chosen and precious cornerstone, Jesus Christ. Listen, the temple, the church is God's design and all of us are living stones who by accepting God's gift of Jesus Christ surrender ourselves to that design, to God's design for his temple. Now that kind of challenges the whole individual faith, the whole personal faith picture a bit, doesn't it? We are part of God's big, beautiful design for a living temple made up of his whole family with his son being the cornerstone of all of it. So here's the challenge question for us. How can we live our lives as living stones and part of God's temple on our own? How is that even possible? Can we claim to be living stones connected to Christ the cornerstone yet not be connected to the rest of the stones in the building? It doesn't work. We're part of something bigger than just ourselves, our own individual little spheres. We're part of something much bigger. We are the temple, the dwelling place of God. We're a spiritual temple, not a physical temple. We are intertwined, interconnected, a spiritual house built from living stones by God upon the cornerstone that is Jesus Christ. Can you see even just a little of that picture? That's who we are. Then Peter writes this, back to our text. He writes about what we're being built up into, the fact that we're being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, he says next. To be a holy priesthood. Do you feel any sense of significance growing in you right now? Anything? Or is it just words? Just some text from a 2,000-year-old script. Listen to what's being said about us, Chapel Hill. Now Peter says, we are a holy priesthood, living stones in God's temple, and a holy priesthood. You and I, chosen by God and purified once and in an ongoing way like we've already talked about are being built up, shaped and fitted by God as priestly living stones in God's temple. What a beautiful picture. But here's where I think we get stuck a little bit because when we talk about priesthood, 
there's a little bit of baggage that we carry there, isn't there? Because we think about priests in the modern day sense. We think about priests in our current cultural context right now. So, of course, what is the first thing that comes to mind? Catholic priests, probably, and their station in the church, and then hall of the media. And we have this kind of picture of priesthood. And it's not an accurate one. It's not a biblical one. And so we need to come back to that. We need to get some historical biblical perspective on what priesthood means. We need a biblical picture of priesthood to really get this. And so I want to take a look at just two aspects this morning of this priesthood thing that will help us wrap our minds around it because this is important. It's important that we understand that we are priests. We are called by God a holy priesthood. So we better understand a little bit about what that means and not just attach it to what we know now as our cultural reference. So let's do that. There are many places in the Old Testament to explore if you want to get a picture of what it meant to be a priest in the Old Testament. Um, Three of those places are Exodus chapters 28 and 29, Leviticus chapters 8 and 9, and Malachi 2. If you dig into those chapters and do some reading, you're going to get a picture of some of the, uh, the characteristics of priests back then and some of the things that they struggled with, that they were challenged with. From places like those in the Bible, we can see at least six characteristics of priests that have direct meaning for us today. They're there, and we can see them. These are things that were true of priests then and are true of God's holy priests, us, now. And I'm going to go through them pretty quickly because this is just helping us uh, better acknowledge our role as God's priesthood. At this point, we're not going to do a full study on biblical priesthood right here. Just let these things sink in. These are important things. This is about us, Chapel Hill. This is about you and me. This is who we are. Six priestly characteristics, then and now. First of all, priests have always been chosen by God. God is the one who decides who the priests are. He appointed his priests. For example, Moses was directed by God to call Aaron and his sons as priests. That was God's instructions through Moses. God decided, I want Aaron and his sons to be priests. What did Peter tell us in the first chapter of 1 Peter? He reminded us that we, you and I, have been chosen by God. Chosen exiles, he called us. We are chosen. We've been chosen by God, just as the priests were chosen back in Old Testament times. Jesus reminded his disciples that he had chosen them to go and bear fruit. They had been chosen by God. And as God's holy priesthood, you and I have been chosen by God. That's one of the characteristics of priests then and now. Secondly, Old Testament priests were cleansed by God before they undertook their duty as priests. In Leviticus 8, 
You're going to find a great example of the steps that needed to be taken in order for priests to be clean when they entered God's presence. It was absolutely essential that they had been forgiven of their sins before they go into the presence of God in the Holy of Holies. So certain steps had been taken to cleanse them, to clean them, to prepare them to enter God's presence. Now think about how Jesus washed his disciples' feet and, and talked and, and talked about what he had done and is doing for his followers. We've done this before. We looked at that idea of Jesus washing our feet daily, how we've been washed once. The same kind of questions Peter had that Jesus responded to. I have cleaned you once, but I'm doing it every day in an ongoing way. We are sprinkled by the blood of Christ just to be clean. No, also for our role as priests and part of God's holy priesthood. Priests were also clothed for their role according to God's commandments. Leviticus 8 also gives instructions for how Aaron and his sons were to be dressed physically. Today we've been clothed clothed in righteousness, in the righteousness of Jesus Christ. We've been given a new look, a look of those who have been clothed in the character of Jesus This is a reminder that priesthood is now a spiritual priesthood, not a physical one. It's a spiritual temple, not a physical temple. And we've been clothed for our role as priests. Fourthly, priests have always been anointed by God. Moses anointed Aaron and his sons. He used oil. He used a little blood from a sacrifice. That anointing signified God's power and his presence in the lives of the priests. And we also have a divine anointing for priesthood. And John and others reminded us of our anointing by the Holy Spirit. God has anointed us with his spirit to be priests in his holy priesthood. Fifthly, priests are prepared by God for service. After all the other preparations in the Old Testament, after all those preparations, priests still had to step aside And take seven days where it was just time for them to get their heart right before God. God did that then. He prepared them for their role, for the duties that they had as priests. And he does the same thing with us. And if you think back to Paul's conversion story, Paul didn't immediately jump into ministry then. God led him away for a time of preparation And he does the same thing with us. He wants us to come to that point where we are fully surrendered to our role as priests in God's holy priesthood. He's looking for that surrender. He's not just automatically going to put us in action. He's looking for our hearts to be fully surrendered to him. And this is, this is my story. This is part of my testimony. It was, I I didn't become uh, immediately become a priest when I prayed the prayer and accepted Jesus Christ. There was a surrender that needed to happen there. And it didn't happen for me until I was in my 20s. And I reached that point where I finally said, God, I'm all yours. Everything I am, everything I have is yours. You call the shots. You use me. And then God took over and just moved me in the direction of his plan. It's part of that process. He prepares us. Finally, God calls his priests to obedience. Priests were called to put high value on God's words. 
They studied God's words. They were called to have a genuine walk with God. It wasn't a Sunday only thing. They were called to be messengers of God and to represent him. We too are called to love and obey God's words. We talked last week about that love for God's words. We too are called to walk closely with God. To take Christ's yoke upon us and walk with him through life. We too are called to be messengers for him in this world where truth and light are lacking. Peter states that we are a holy priesthood. And that is what we are. So what then is the duty of a priest? What do priests do? What do we do? What are our responsibilities? In Peter's text, he makes it clear. He says that we're to be a holy priesthood to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. Priests went into the temple and offered sacrifices. That was their role. They offered sacrifices for the sins of God's people on their behalf. Now the ultimate and final sacrifice has been made by Jesus Christ. Yet we're still being called by God to make sacrifices to him. Spiritual sacrifices. Acceptable spiritual sacrifices. So what then is an acceptable spiritual sacrifice today? For us. All right, let me give you seven examples really quickly here from the Bible. We're going to work through these seven things real fast. Seven acceptable spiritual sacrifices laid out in Scripture for us so that we get a better understanding of what our role is as priests in God's holy priesthood, okay? Following? Lots of stuff today. Lots. We'll go back to this stuff again. Don't worry about it. First one, we're to offer our bodies as a living sacrifice. Romans chapter 12 Verses 1 and 2. Let me read them for you. Paul says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. We are to offer our bodies up as a spiritual sacrifice to God as holy priests. Second one, we're to offer up our praise. Hebrews 13 has some beautiful things in it to say about our role as priests and the sacrifices that we make. Hebrews chapter 13, verse 15, says, Through him then let us continually offer up a sacrifice of praise to God that is the fruit of lips that acknowledge his name. We do that here on Sunday mornings, don't we? Peter leads us into a time of praise. That is an acceptable sacrifice that we offer up to God. But is God looking for us to do that once a week on a Sunday morning? No, obviously not. Our words to him, our words of praise to him, to others, just to nobody, our words of praise for who he is are an acceptable sacrifice for him, our role as priests. Third thing, our good works and our good works and our possessions are both tied into the very next verse in Hebrews chapter 13. Verse 16 says this, do not neglect to do good. That's your good works, to do good and to share what you have. That's our possessions. For such sacrifices are pleasing to God. Can you do that? 
Of course we can do that, right? Don't be intimidated by your role as a priest. This is a sacrifice. These are sacrifices we're to make. Our bodies, our praise, our good works, our possessions. Romans chapter 15, verses 15 and 16. Bring out another one. Romans 15, 15 and 16. This is Paul speaking about his witness being an acceptable sacrifice. He says this, but on some points I have written to you very boldly by way of reminder because of the grace given me by God to be a minister of Christ Jesus to the Gentiles in the priestly service of the gospel of God. So that the offerings of the Gentiles may be acceptable, sanctified by the Holy Spirit. Our witness, the way that we take God's truth and spread it, share it with our neighbors, is a sacrifice. An acceptable sacrifice to God through Jesus Christ. That's one of the things that we do. Ephesians now. Ephesians chapter 5, right? Yep. Ephesians 5, the first two verses. Here's another one. This is about our love. Paul writes this to the church in Ephesus. He says, therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. Jesus sacrificed himself, his life in agape love for us. And we are called to express that love to each other as an acceptable sacrifice to God in our role as priests. Last one is our prayers. And there are some beautiful pictures in the book of Revelation. Revelation chapter 8, verses 3 and 4. A picture of um, what is going to happen here in the future. A gorgeous picture that John paints here that God gave him says, and in this vision he has, he sees this. And another angel came and stood at the altar with a golden censer. And he was given much incense to offer with the prayers of all the saints on the golden altar before the throne. And the smoke of the incense with the prayers of the saints rose, from, rose before God from the hand of the angel. Our prayers, Chapel Hill, are an acceptable sacrifice to God. It's part of our role as priests to offer those sacrifices to God. Brings some value, of course, to our prayers, doesn't it? Our role as God's holy priesthood is to continue offering spiritual sacrifices to God. Spiritual, not physical. Even our possessions are a spiritual sacrifice because that sharing has to do with our hearts. This is the new priesthood. And you and I are part of this priesthood. God never stopped being worthy of our sacrifices. And he has chosen, cleansed, clothed, appointed, prepared, and commanded us to be his priests. And to carry out our priestly duty of offering up spiritual, acceptable sacrifices to God. That's what we're called to do. This is our role as living stones. And I hope that gives all of us a clearer picture of what it means to be a holy priesthood. We will come back to this. Um, I'm not going to get into the, the next part of the, uh, the passage today. I'll leave that for next week. How comfortable are you 
with the term priest. Are you okay with this? I think this is beautiful. The fact that God has identified us as living stones in his temple, the one that he designed before time, the one that he is building for his dwelling place. You and I are living stones in that temple. And not only that, as living stones, we are to carry out our role as priests in God's temple, as a holy priesthood. Are you surrendered this morning to that identity? Do you understand that that's who we are? Living stones in God's temple, shaped and fitted perfectly for the place that he has for us in his temple. Is there any way we can be dissatisfied with our place in God's temple? Not a chance. It's God's perfect design. And not only did he choose us to be living stones in his temple, not only that, that just kind of puts us as a prop a little bit, right? We're not just that. We're not just a This kept coming to me as I wrote this. We're not just another brick in the wall for you (laughs) older people that get that. Yes, it went through my head. I almost called the sermon that. Left it alone. (laughs) We're not just that. That's not what he's saying. You're You're not just one piece in something that God's building. In that context... We are the priests that God is using to build his dwelling place. Do you get how beautiful that is? And in that picture of us as priests, was there anything that you looked at up here where you just went, oh, I can't do that. Those sacrifices that were, oh, I can't do that. Only a priest could do that. That's us. Those are the sacrifices that we are to offer daily. As a holy priesthood, living stones in God's temple. God says, come to me through Jesus Christ. Align with the cornerstone of my temple and I will put you into this structure. You will be a living stone. You will be a holy priesthood in my temple. That's who we are. No matter what is happening in your life right now, no matter what struggle you're facing right now, no matter what pain you are feeling right now, no matter how insignificant you feel, no matter how small you feel, no matter how beat up you feel, it's temporary. You are a living stone in God's temple. Called to be his holy priesthood. No wonder God says, set your mind on things above. Because no matter what's happening to you right now, this identity of a living stone in a holy priesthood is forever. And your circumstances right now can't affect that. Set your eyes on things above. You are God's chosen and precious living stone in his holy temple. You are, we are the dwelling place of God and his holy priesthood. That's us. That's who God says we are.
I'm going to ask the ushers to come now and the worship team as well as we close this service. Let's pray together as they do. And again, as we're quiet now in a state of prayer, are you surrendered to this plan? Are you surrendered to this idea that you are a living stone in God's temple? Or do you still see yourself as some independent individual out on your own asking God to help you be a better stone? Surrender yourself to God's design. He's designed and is building up a perfect temple where he will dwell forever. Give yourself fully to that plan. Give yourself fully to your identity as a priest. Father, how do you do this? How is it that you can see us this way? When we're so messed up, we're so flawed, we make so many mistakes, we make so many bad decisions. How is it that you can see us as living stones in your temple, your dwelling place? How is it that you can call us your holy priesthood? You are a good, good father. And you are full of grace. And I thank you that you can see us as we will be. Now, Father, shape us. Shape us to fit into our place in your design of your temple. Father, remind us every day of who we are as your holy priesthood. Anoint us, empower us to carry out that role. We're yours. We surrender ourselves to you again today in Jesus' name.